Welcome into the Warehouse, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles and Major League Baseball. The Warehouse is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. Welcome into the warehouse. I'm Chris Stoner. Of course, I'm joined uh, by my colleagues Bob Harkins and Matt Corey. How you guys doing? Doing good. How are you? Doing good. Uh, good. Bob, uh, as we're preparing for the show, we were talking off air, just kind of some of the stories that may have been lost uh, in this uh, long COVID environment. It's now July, and if we plot back to spring training or kind of even going into spring training what some of the bigger stories were certainly the one that drove most of the headlines uh in the early part of the year was the sign stealing i know you had wrote an article at bsl uh about that uh kind of remind people uh what that issue was i think that (laughs) back in the halcyon days of happiness that happened when i was coming out of college (laughs) i think i don't even remember the article (laughs) <laughs> Bob is 78 now, so that was a while ago. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not. You're not far, far off. Uh, yeah, remember the sign stealing scandal? That was fun, banging on garbage cans and everything, and you know a lot of Astros fans just not that upset about it. More upset about the outrage over it than anything else. Um, that was fun. We had what three managers lose their jobs over that. Hinch and and Cora and uh, Beltran, who lasted yeah. what a couple minutes as the Mets manager, and the uh, most Mets manager ever. I was thinking about about this, the science stealing scandal, and I was I was thinking about like who who are the big winners out of the science stealing scandal, and I guess what I came up with to a certain extent, you Darvish and Clayton Kershaw were kind of winners out of it. Um, at least to some extent, you know, people don't think they're maybe quite the chokers that they that they thought initially um and you know at this point i think the big winners in all this is the yankees unless more information comes out about that they apparently they were trying to suppress some kind of paper that may have implicated them in this as well and then i guess i guess i don't mean they were winners in the in the science stealing scandal they were winners that that scandal was usurped by everything else that has happened since at least at this point maybe we'll have more information uh coming out about that um but yeah i don't no one's talking about stealing signs i I guess uh it'll be easy to hear any garbage cans being banged on with no fans in the stands though so what do you guys probably uh, i'm sorry matt i was gonna say probably somebody else that had a uh was a winner there bob was uh chris stoner who i think probably had a poor take at the time saying (laughs) At least initially, where I thought, well, I'm not sure how big a story this is. To me, I, I thought this would probably be maybe a little bit more commonplace, and we'll see if anything comes of the Yankees. But I I just did not believe at the time that Houston and or Boston were alone in in that, and I kind of expected that we were going to see uh, this story spread around the league. But it didn't, so at the time, at least, that take was, was pretty poor. Uh, Matt, sorry I think, to cut you off. No, you're fine. I was going to say, I think you and the commissioner were on the same team uh, on that thought. 
Great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I I forgot your thoughts on the commissioner. I apologize, Chris. Um, <laughs> now I was going to say, and I I I don't know if if this makes the Astros quote unquote winners or not in this particular little vein, but um, but because of COVID, you are now not allowed to charge the mound, right? And yeah. I so I. I know that there was a lot of talk about throwing at Astros players before, you know, before this whole COVID thing happened. And we all, like, uh, like you said, Bob, stopped talking about this. But, yeah. uh, but I wonder what, what impact that has. Do you think guys will be throwing at, um, you know, at Astro players more now that they know they're not going to incite a brawl? Or will they incite a brawl anyway and everyone's just going to get suspended, like, forever? I just... well, well, you've got those extra uh, uh, roster spots, so if you want to just uh, uh, throw, throw at people, you have some extra arms to do it. But I would imagine mo- most games uh, against the Astros, if they, they being the umpires or league, suspects that the Astros are being thrown at, they'll probably come out initially and say, uh, you've already been warned. And, and that makes for a a tougher game to pitch as well as you're able to go ahead and hitters are able to go crowd the plate and and not and not afraid of being pitchers become afraid of throwing inside uh, right at, at, at any time so um at the most you know they always say players have a long memory uh and things get kind of uh uh carried out between the lines maybe you see some hard uh slides in the second maybe you see cleats up or Maybe you, you can't do that anymore either, though. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, ghost Runner again. Something else we just mentioned off air. Yeah, there's going to be again, some haunting, Ghost tag, maybe. ghost runners, and uh, no contact as we uh, remove that further. It'll be interesting. Uh, we'll see how long the memories of players are. People were all fired up uh, going into spring training. We'll see if they still are as uh, play resumes. There's going to be some serious uh, fights in 2024, I'm telling you. Yeah, we'll bring it back. Uh, so, Matt, as we were kicking off and going through some other stories of the year uh, that were, you know, maybe forgotten about at this point, last week we talked about our favorite players in the game, and you had mentioned uh, a certain outfielder that was supposed to head west. Uh, he was traded, maybe the overall second-best player in the game, Mookie Betts. Uh, talk to us about that trade. And... Uh, uh, the, the big story there, and of course, now how uh, it doesn't look like he is going to suit up for the Dodgers. <laughs> well, he's not going to suit up for the Dodgers. Did he say he's he's opting out? I didn't hear that. Uh, uh, maybe I have that wrong. I I believe. Uh, I guess it was Price that just opted out. Yeah, uh, Price opted it, out. Uh, now yeah. I'm going to have to do a quick googling while I'm while I'm chatting at you here. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think he's opting out. I, I don't think okay. that's uh, that's happened. But but Price Price did opt out, so that's yeah. that's kind of a you know a thing. The Dodgers. It, it's got to be one of the strangest trades in the history of baseball. I mean, there's a possibly apocryphal story about um, I think uh, uh, Tom Yawkey, who owned the Red Sox, and might have been Dan Topping, who was the general manager of the Yankees. I I can't recall this the Yankees. Representative, but apparently they were drinking late into the night, uh, and they agreed to trade uh, Joe DiMaggio for Ted Williams, um, and uh, and they were going to send the paperwork into the league the next morning, and uh, and it might have been Yaki who woke up the next day and had had cold feet on that one, which 
for the record, is, is the right thing. You don't trade Ted Williams for Joe DiMaggio. That's, that's a bad trade. But um, n- not the least of which because DiMaggio was older by um, three or four years, I think. But uh, aside from stuff like that, like things that didn't actually happen, I mean, this has got to be one of the strangest deals ever just because of the, the circumstances surrounding it. Um, you know, the... The Dodgers traded for a year of Mookie Betts. They're not going to get that. They traded for three years of David Price. They're not going to get that now. Um, they gave up Alex Verdugo and um, uh, Connor Wong, catching prospect. Um, and you know the Red Sox will lose a, a you know some some control uh, obviously on on Verdugo with you know depending on how the season goes. But but Wong is in the minors. They they get him for the full. The full thing. I mean, you can't imagine a deal like that going down now. Like, if they were to trade Mookie Betts right now, what would they get for him? Would they be able to dump David Price's contract on the Dodgers too? I, it, it wouldn't happen. It's just not. It's just not possible. So it's just. It's just super strange. It, it's a totally normal, ordinary deal, um, except for all the stuff surrounding it. Um, oh, and the fact that it's the Red Sox trading, you know, this this big market team trading uh, away their best player because they didn't feel like paying him. That's pretty weird, too. Yeah, and throwing in price, like, wouldn't they have been better off just uh, trading separately? <laughs> and I mean, it, yes. It, 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 <laughs> I mean, just, or, getting the, or, just getting the return. Uh, or maybe. Otherwise, for bets. or, or Maybe they could have just signed him. Right, right, that the other. I mean, because, you know, yeah, the Red Sox are made of money and Mookie Betts is 26 and the best player in, or, you know, one of the best players in baseball, depending on where you put him. Um, you know, the, the Dodgers aren't, aren't stupid like that. The Yankees aren't stupid like that. Um, that was, stupid is maybe a strong word. I mean, but, it, you know, it's complicated by financial situations and, and, uh, and all this sort of stuff. But... I don't know. To me, ultimately, when you know these things come right down to it, the the team that gives up the, the great player is almost always the loser in that deal. Matt, we'll come back to you. So, uh, free agent moves of note or uh, trades, uh, uh, player movement that stood out to you that uh, maybe has been forgot about. Uh, <laughs> we can talk about the Corey Kluber move to Texas or otherwise. Well, I mean, Josh Donaldson is on the Minnesota Twins. Did you guys know that? Uh, and I've if that. you recall, yeah, if you recall last year, uh, the twins problem was their pitching. They didn't have trouble scoring runs. Um, and so what did they do? They went out there and they got a, uh, they got another good hitter and they didn't get any pitching. So that's going to be able to go be able to swing, uh, banged out a bunch of home runs last year in that park. And I've always liked Donaldson. Of course, age is getting up to him a little bit, but, uh, he had been a very strong uh, defensive player at yeah. third at one point. Uh, I think he still he, is. I mean, he, yeah, he's yeah. just a fantastic, fantastic player. He'll make them, he'll make them better. But as far as I know, he doesn't pitch. Bob, what, what about for you? Any uh, uh, player movement that uh, might have been forgot about that stands out for you? You know, the, it's funny. We talked about the the scandal being feeling like it was ancient times. Remember before the scandal? When nope, we were having the best off season ever, like with all the teams were spending money like crazy, and now when we'll see that again, I don't. 
no idea. But I mean, Strasburg gets seven years. Cole Garrett Cole gets nine years. Um, it's just bananas. I was looking at it all. I one of the ones that really stood out to me is sort of a I guess if you want to talk below the radar ones was Yasmani Grandal going to the White Sox. You know, probably, you know, not a perfect catcher, but an excellent framer of pitches, a uh, great hitter for a catcher, and getting four years with him, dealing with a young staff, that seemed like a pretty good move to me. And the White Sox also got Dallas Keuchel, which I'd forgotten about. Um, uh, well, that leads to a, uh, kind of a next topic I wanted to get to, and potential Cinderella teams. And I think uh, in this 60-game run and, the Chicago White Sox, I think they're going to be a popular pick among people. Uh, Matt, who, uh, possible Cinderella teams, who stands out to, out to you? Well, I mean, the Blue Jays are a team that I find really interesting because they have so much young talent. I don't think they have the pitching. Um, if they decide to get crazy and call up Nate Pearson and he's as good as advertised, then, then maybe they do in a 60-game season. I'll be honest and tell you, I don't know that much about their bullpen. It could be uh, utter garbage. Um, but in a 60-game season, who the heck knows anyway? Um, but, you know, with Biggio and uh, Guerrero and, you know, the, the 80s all-stars. Yeah. yeah uh, <laughs> it's, uh, I, I think it's a team with a lot of upside. And um, I think, you know, it's possible that, that things could, uh, you know, fall into place for them this season. Bob, about for you, uh, outside of the Jays or White Sox, or yeah, or are those your pick? <laughs> I don't know if if this is something I believe will happen, but I think it would be about the best thing that could happen for baseball after all this has happened, and that would be to see Mike Trout and the Angels go to the World Series. Uh, you see your best player on the biggest stage for once, finally, and see Otani. Uh, on that stage too, and they have Anthony Rendon now. I I I would love to see that again. You know, like what you Matt said about the Blue Jays. I'm not sure they have the pitching to pull off a run like that, but I'd love to see Mike Trout be World Series MVP when this season's over. Yeah, that's fantastic. I want to I want to amend mine to whatever Bob just. Said. <laughs> I love both your picks. I mean, the Jays were kind of you know kind of on my radar, and I'd love to see. Uh, for the reasons Bob mentioned, I'd love to see the Angels. And I talked last week about Otani being kind of my favorite player right now. And I know that he just had uh, – he pitched in one of their inner squad games, first time that he had thrown since his uh, his injury. And I believe the, the line was he had walked like eight or nine guys. So maybe he's not quite right there, not that it matters in your first, uh, first outing. But potentially if he could go – in that 60-game stretch, your innings aren't going to be pressed uh, too much, but he could be that kind of uh, front-end uh, difference maker there. And certainly they have, uh, uh, with Rendon and, and himself, to uh, uh, be around Trout. That's an interesting team, so uh, we'll see what happens there. Uh, one of the other issues I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on this week was uh, uh, the juice ball. And, uh, you know, it went down in the playoffs last year, but just for comparison's sake, in 2014, there were just under 4,200 home runs league-wide. Last year, there were just under 6,800 home runs league-wide, which is, is a, it's a totally different game in five years. Uh, and 
uh, you can talk about launch angles or uh, what you're trying to do at the plate, but really the only real explanation to me is is juice ball. I guess everything could have a factor, but I just want it to me. It takes away from the game. I don't know what your guys' faults are there, but it's just it's not a it's not a as pure a game for me when everyone in the lineup is capable of just completely uh, uh, mashing. Uh, no, I agree. Matt, Matt yeah, thoughts there. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. It's you know, home runs are fantastic, but they're a little bit like candy, and you know, you can only eat so much candy before you get sick to your stomach. And um, I don't know how the, how great an analogy that is. It might be really awful. I apologize, but uh, I mean, I, I like candy. <laughs> Bob likes it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, I, yeah, I, I, I think it, it cheapens the home runs, too. Um, I, I recall watching a game, a Red Sox game, uh, a year ago, um, where one of the hitters was really badly fooled by an off-speed pitch and was way out on his front foot and basically just flicked the ball, and you would have thought he, was, he had just popped it to second base and it went over the outfield wall, and I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> Right. Um, and so it's stuff like that 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 is just, yeah, it, it it does cheapen the game. I I guess I don't have any more depth than that, but uh, but that's that's true. I think. But you know, Bob. So like a lot of uh, a lot of last year, we saw Manfred and other people within MLB saying ball's not uh, juiced. It's just a <laughs> just normal, you know, but. Is there any other explanation that we're, we haven't touched on beyond no, tampering I mean, with the product? <laughs> I mean, yeah, you, it seems to me like the most logical. I mean, yet you mentioned, you know, launch angle and things like that. And, you know, hitting and pitching is always an adjustment game. Uh, hitters start adjusting their, their swings to lift low balls. So pitchers start pitching higher in the zone. And then hitters adjust to that, and maybe there'll be a back and forth there. But you can kind of tell. I mean, when you see pop-ups clear the wall, when you see one-handed, you know, guys one-handed and knock it over the fence. Um, you know, Matt, you mentioned one. I remember being it. This this wasn't juiced ball. I don't think it was a Coors Field home run. But same thing, you can tell. You know, I saw Darren Dalton hit a pop-up that just wouldn't come down. It just kept going and going and going. And that was a Coors Field issue. But still i think you can tell the difference and and you know i'm i'm not optim you know i guess what you all you want is it to be fair right yeah, you want I a legit home run to be legit fair if and if everyone's using the same product you can argue that it's it, it, it's fair I, I guess what i would get to is if mlb is doing it intentionally maybe it was unintentional and just is the product but if they're doing it intentionally do more home runs equal a better product? And uh, that, I guess that's where I would have, a, have an issue, and we kind of touched on it, Matt gave his there's thoughts. A, yeah, there's yeah. a line somewhere, right? I mean, right. somewhere between zero home runs and every hitter hits a home run, there's a line where it's like, oh, that's too much. Um, and I would, you know, I, I would agree with Chris. That I, I think we've crossed that line somewhere. And I'd well, like it to seems see like we went from the dead ball air to everyone being the 27 Yankees like in yeah, five right. years. <laughs> I'd like to see research too. Like I know we're all pretty hardcore baseball fans, and and 
I'd like to see research on does that actually drive viewership, having a crazy amount of home runs. I'm not aware of any. Maybe there's some out there. But it seems to be an assumption that more home runs means more fans, and I, I'm not sure I'd buy that. I think more offense tends to mean more fans. Um, I, you know, I don't have a study to back that up, so maybe that's wrong. But I've heard that argument across multiple sports, um, you know, to and, and from leagues, like, you know, so to, to the point where you would expect that, that it would be backed up by something. You know, the NHL, the same, you know, uh, the NFL is the same. Um, so I, I would expect that would be the case. Yeah, and, and, you know, maybe there is something I kind of think in the, you can get caught in the ideas of what you personally like. And myself, I prefer a, uh, a low-scoring, well-pitched game that moves. <laughs> uh, yeah, seeing balls in play, that's what I particularly enjoy. But, you know, I realize, you know, there are other people out there that might just prefer more offense. And, Matt, there certainly have been studies in all sports that indicate that, uh, you know, average fans do like that. Last week, we looked at the American League East, and we'll continue our division previews by looking at the National League East tonight. Uh, the Orioles will have 20 games against the uh, their National League counterparts. Uh, that includes the defending world champion Washington Nationals. Bob, what are your thoughts on the Nationals and potentially defending their crown here in 2020? Yeah, well, they, I'd looked at this division. I, th- I think this is a real hard division to predict. There's just a lot of variables out there. Um, and as, as far as the Nationals go, I, I just can't get last year out of my head, like how it started. Like heading into June, they were 24 and 33 in nine games out of first. And then they, and they just played, what, 700 ball the rest of the way and won the World Series. So now you're you're like essentially starting with two months left and what happens with a team like that you know they've still got they've still got the starting staff they've still assuming do little pitches i think he's kind of on the fence whether he'll play or not you know their bullpen should be at least decent and you know and they still have soto but zimmerman's out and They've, they've lost Rendon, you know, right after losing Harper. Can they survive that? I don't know. This is a pretty deep division. I'm not sure they, I'm not sure they can. But, again, like last year, nine games out, two months into the season. So who, who knows? Yeah, the really interesting thing really jumped out to me there uh, was what so you mentioned the first 57 games or so, right? Uh, so, and that was – you know, we could be like we're a 60-game season here in uh, 20, and we're talking about the defending uh, champion and how they uh, how they performed in a 60-game stretch. So, uh, be again a reminder of just how 60 games really is nothing <laughs> in a major league season, and there could be a lot of weird things that happen. Uh, Matt, any thoughts on the Nats before we move on? Um, yeah, I mean, I you know I think they they do have that top line you know, pitching that, that you look for, um, you know, with, with uh, Strasburg and, and um, different colored eyes. Help me here. Scherzer. Right. Scherzer, Next. thank you. Got, got, <laughs> yeah. the two, got the two studs there at the top of the rotation, um, and that obviously makes a makes yeah. a huge difference. And certainly yeah. in a 60-game season where those two are going to go, 
uh, you know, that, that can be that could be huge. The other thing I I'm looking uh, for them okay. is uh, replacing uh, Rendon there. I believe it's Carter Kaiboom. Uh, Kiboom. Kiboom. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so former first rounder taking over and uh, see what he uh, he can do. Obviously, don't wouldn't expect him to be at Rendon's level, but you know, some level of production there. I believe he was a top twenty-five ish prospect going into last year. So, yeah, he's a real um, prospect. I mean, he may or may not be ready. I think that's the issue. I mean, you know, they have. Uh, I, I think their outfield is the most interesting with you know with, uh, with Soto and, and and Robles. You know, if if Robles can, I mean, Robles was supposed to be the guy who was going to be the big star. You know, and, and Soto turned into this this you know leading the league in every offensive category monster. Uh, you know, fantastic to watch. If Robles becomes the guy that people thought he was going to become, then that you know maybe that offense doesn't miss a beat. There are a number of teams uh, that could challenge uh, the Nationals there in the East. Uh, probably everybody's uh, next favorite team would be the Atlanta Braves. Uh, Matt, what are you, what are your thoughts there with uh, Atlanta? Well, I think the big story with, with them right now is that they may not have their all-star first baseman. Um, you know, Freddie Freeman is was, you know, diagnosed with COVID, and he's apparently, I, I don't know, I don't know what the proper terminology is, but, you know, it's hit him incredibly hard. He's, he's really sick. So, you know, hopefully he gets, he gets well. Uh, but, you know, if he's not there, then that's, that's, that's a big, a big problem for them. I mean, he's a, you know, he's a leader in the clubhouse. He's also a fantastic hitter and, and a good fielder. But um, Yeah, I think Mark Kick has opted out after he spoke to Freeman. Uh, right, uh, right, directly. that's true. Yeah, you got to wonder if these things have, you know, uh, uh, like a snowball effect through the clubhouse. I mean, I, I guess we're going to find out. But um, no, the Braves are an incredibly talented team, and, you know, uh, they're, I think, right there with the Nats, maybe more offense, maybe less uh, pitching. Um but um, you know, Albies and, and Swanson, and they, they signed uh, Ozuna, and of course you know Ronald Acuna, and um, so it, yeah, yeah. I thought a, Ozuna was kind of an under the radar signing for them. Uh, you mentioned like Swanson going into year four, see if he has type of a leap. Acuna just you know him and Soto, two ridiculous outfielders in that division, and. And Albies, it's somebody that I haven't seen a lot of, but just looking at his stat line and his age, I mean, that's a lot to like there. Look look at his contract, too. It's insane. Yeah. Uh, Bob, what about uh, the Mets? Um, uh, you know, my kind of cursory glance at New York, I mean, I kind of uh, – the rotation doesn't have some of the – I don't know uh, – Super upside that it, that it had in in some years, but I kind of I kind of like the staff. It looked to me, at least for the first four, were going to be fairly reliable, and the the lineup had a number of uh, uh, pretty solid bats. What are your thoughts on the Mets? Yeah, it, it's easy to for, to forget they were ten games over five hundred last year. At least it was for me. Easy to easy to forget. Maybe that's an age thing. I don't know, but. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I think I'll go light on any Mets jokes myself until we see how this season holds out. You know, they won't have Syndergaard this season at all because he's he's injured. Um, but they do have a pretty nice staff even without him, with the Grom and uh, Porcello and Stroman and even Waka. Um, and then they have a lot of they have some good hitters. All of it 
names, they all end with the letter O. Alonzo, Conforto, Cano, Nemo. And Cano, maybe having a nice short season will help a 38-year-old Robinson Cano stay fresh. I don't know. So, I don't know. I, glancing at it. Oh, and they added uh, Batances, too. So, oh, yeah. I look at them and I think, in a short season, I could see them taking the division. Why not? Yeah, maybe Cepeda's uh, there at, at DH, and uh, uh, the other one in the rotation was um, Mott. Uh, it, it, two names kind of in the lineup that were interesting to me, and, and Matt, maybe you could speak to them. I, I just haven't seen enough of them were uh, Jeff McNeil and, and uh, J.D. Davis, who they're a little bit older, and they had really their first full year of play last year, and they both produced, uh, but a little bit older than a you know guys traditionally breaking through are they uh, are these uh, real regression candidates or what are you looking at out of them going going forward not to put too much yeah i mean I, I definitely think they are they're yeah. definitely regression candidates but at the same time you know who the heck knows man like you said 60 games you know they could come out and hit i don't know how many home runs can you hit in 60 games 20 15 that's probably yeah. a lot right um I mean, the other guy actually that no one's touched on with the Mets is is they have Jed Lowry. So if he ever gets healthy, he's actually a pretty good player, even though he's also pretty old. But um, maybe he steps in, plays some second base, and spells Cano. Although his last name doesn't end in O, so maybe he doesn't. <laughs> he didn't know the yeah, rule. Yeah, I, I just look, just looking at the <laughs> looking at their lineup, I, it just looked to me to be a bit stronger than a typical National League lineup. That, that's kind of what, what jumped out to me. Uh, but. All, all these teams seem to have really strong lineups. I, I, yeah. I'm not sure one is much stronger than the others. Maybe you guys disagree, but, I mean, the Phillies also. Uh, you know, Real Muto and Hoskins, and they have D.D. Uh, can't, I can't talk. D.D. Gregorius now. Um, and Kinder McCutcheon. And, yeah, and McCutcheon and maybe. And, of course, Bryce Harper. So, uh, I, so I, go I ahead, think all go these ahead teams are going to be able to score. Go ahead and uh, give uh, some thoughts there on, on Philly, Matt. Maybe on that. Uh, I mean, one of these years they're going to have to, um, I don't know. I, I don't think they're quite good enough. And I, I feel like that's going to be the story as long as Bryce Harper is there. It seems like this is, you know, this is pre-written. Um, they, uh, they're just not quite as good as Washington. They're not quite as good as Atlanta. I think they're more on the Mets level. Um, I think I'd, I'd put the Mets above them if, if they had a healthy Syndergaard. Um, but, and yeah, so... I, I think it's going to be interesting to, to, to watch Harper, though, because, you know, he had kind of a down season the year um, that, you know, he left Washington, his last year in Washington, and then his year, you know, his last season in Philadelphia, first, sorry, first season in Philadelphia wasn't spectacular either. You know, is this who he is now? You know, uh, 10%, 15% above average, um, you know, outfielder, because they're paying him a lot of money for a long time to, to be better than that. I mean, you remember what a monster he was as a, I don't know, what, a 24-year-old or whatever it was when he won the MVP? Um, yeah, depending on which war you're using, he was like a 10-win player. Yeah. And then the last four years, it's like 12 combined or so, somewhere in there. Right, right. But, you know, I mean, still, you, you look at his the traditional numbers and very good, and OPS is up there right around 900. Like you said, a, a very, a very strong player, but not quite 
what you're hoping for after that explosion uh, four years ago. Yeah, uh, I mean, the thing that, you know, the thing I, that really stood out to me um, was uh, his offense had been so bad his last year in D.C., and I, that was a big, uh, you know, concern. And, and, uh, and he wasn't so bad in Philly. Uh, I'm sorry, defense. Did I say offense? Defense. His defense was really bad his last year in D.C., um, and, uh, and it improved a lot in Philadelphia. So I'm not sure, um, you know, what the reason I could speculate, but this is an Orioles podcast. And so maybe we'll move it along. But, um, <laughs> I, I think uh, they're an above average, uh, team, probably slightly over 500. Well, the Orioles, uh, parallel or the Orioles story I'll pull in there is Arietta, kind of their third starter. You're not asking him to go back to his, uh, Cy Young year, but, uh, he looks to me like you need, he needs to be better than he was last year behind uh, Nola and uh, Wheeler. You get a little bit more out of him. I think that's their chance to be you know, potentially better. Yeah. Uh, One other thing Bob they did and, real quick, they did upgrade their manager too. Uh, Joe Girardi oh yeah, that's true. in place of Gabe, Gabe Kapler, who I'm, I'm actually kind of surprised he got snapped up so quick uh, by the Giants. But uh, – but yeah, I he don't know what. He has a really what... good reputation in the game. I'm mean, people like him a lot. Yeah, I, I my, I had some interaction with him, and I thought he was just kind of an odd guy. Um, maybe maybe it was because it was a reporter, and maybe he's better with players than that. And maybe it was just so weird, you know. Maybe he had a weird day. But uh, yeah, no, I, I kind of I kind of heard that before before Bob, and as far as uh, Girardi, Girardi has his own. Uh, uh, reputation, but he did seem to have uh, he had success with the Marlins and the Yankees. As an Oriole fan, maybe Matt had similar thoughts as a Red Sox fan. Girardi would drive me insane uh, uh, as an opposing fan, just because he draws out every game with uh, it, it, every game was a five-hour marathon uh, you know, playing against them. And, yeah, uh, you, he doesn't speed things up. That's true. And Yankees Red Sox games are not known for being um, quick either. So well, both of those teams, you know, can't, you know, are willing and looking to take uh, walks and actually have plate discipline, but they're also willing to make ten pitching changes a night. It seemed, but uh, uh, God, it's a hard. It was a hard watch anytime. Uh, yeah, with <laughs> Uh Bob wrapping up the NL East, uh, uh, the Marlins. You want to do this, Chris? You sure? <laughs> Stuck me with the Marlins. Uh, well, they have, they do have, you know. Okay, Bob, name three guys on the Marlins. Our old Go. friend and super future Marlins superstar Jonathan VR, who's probably going to be the go. star of that team. Uh, I don't know, Lewis Brinson. He's kind of prospecty, still maybe. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. No. Uh, Matt Joyce. You guys like Matt Joyce? Corey, Love him. Corey Big Matt Joyce fan over here. Um, Miguel Rojas is a real nice guy and a solid <laughs> defender. Uh, I don't think he, he can good. really hit. Um, but, yeah, no, it's a, it, I think it's a four-team race. And you, we, we've been talking so much about how anything can happen in a 60-game season. But, no, nah, nah, I don't. I didn't, sp- I didn't spend enough time with looking up Miami myself. Uh, Traditionally, we've seen the Marlins. Obviously, they build up their prospects internally or through you know, through trades. They they wind up having a team that's uh, on the periphery of contention or twice they've won a world championship, and then they, they move those players off as they get more expensive. Matt, do they have any prospects of note that uh, 
we should be looking for uh, it here this year. Oh, good God. No, I don't have... Uh, that's a rough one, Chris. <laughs> we'll move it on. We'll, we'll get... That was mean. <laughs> Sorry, Marlins fans, yeah. Well, I was going to say, I think the Marlins have never won uh, the division before. They won the World Series twice, and they did it both right. as a wild card. Um, yeah. yeah. Two, two championships there in 97 and 03, I believe, right? And yep, yep. Two, yeah, right. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. I, I can't speak intelligently about the Marlins farm system uh, right now. I'm sure they have They have somebody. They've got uh, to. I mean, I'm, I'm Everybody excited. As an Orioles, Orioles fan, <laughs> I'm excited about the Marlins because this is our our competition to see who is the worst team in the East. But, but apparently, they're by by all measures in the two divisions. Uh, uh, it's the... It's a Kumar Rocker, uh, uh, you know, it's series. Stakes, right? yes. Yeah, exactly. So right. if you want to get Rocker, make sure that you're starting your worst starter against the Marlins. <laughs> so, uh, all right, moving back to the Orioles once more. Uh, ESPN had an article this week uh, suggesting that Frank Robinson belongs on the MVP trophy, uh, MVP in both leagues. Uh uh, successful manager, uh, Bob, uh, some general thoughts. Also there. in both leagues, successful manager in both leagues there as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I read Buster only uh, story and I thought it was great. He made a, a great case for it. One, you know, Landis's name doesn't need to be on the trophy and, um, you know, should not be on the trophy. I didn't even actually know it was on the trophy. Sorry <laughs> to express my ignorance on that one, but, uh, but no, Frank Robinson, only guy to be MVP in both leagues, as you said, great manager in both leagues. Uh, when he retired, what was he, the fourth all-time home run hitter at the time? Third or fourth, something like that, by the time he yeah, retired? Four, four for 586, and it kind of, you know, Frank, throughout his career, if you think about it, most of it being in the National League prior to coming over to the Royals in 66, he had been kind of, uh, you know, he's behind Mays and Aaron. Right, so he's kind of uh, trapped there uh, in terms of overall pedigree. But this is some player by by any measure is one of the top twenty or so players of all, all time, yeah. and uh, by Oriole, Oriole fans consider him the the greatest Oriole of all time, uh, pretty uh, consistently. And also um, had a reputation as a, a tough player and a guy who played really hard, which like like that's what we like to praise are the guys that put the work in and play work, workman-like baseball as well. And on top of the talent, he was known as a, as a hard worker as well. Yeah, hard worker. He took the, the Orioles, who from about 60 through 65, it had quality teams, uh, were winning games, but were not just not over the hump. And he, he came in 66 and uh, had a triple crown season and showed them how to win by all counts. Uh, stories you've heard, I've heard over the years from uh, Brooks Robinson or Jim Palmer. Uh, and the other Orioles who were uh, part of those those teams, and then for me, uh, seeing firsthand, and I, we had mentioned on the, one of the shows the last few weeks, my favorite Orioles team that I ever watched was the '89 Orioles, and he was the manager of that team. And uh, yeah, he was just always—he's somebody that always commanded the room, was easy to respect. So a cool story with uh, Buster Olney, who. Uh, he certainly was familiar with, with, with Baltimore, only had been a reporter with, with the Baltimore Sun, so you could see some of uh, that in green there. You know, th there's a case to be made that 
he could, you know, that he should have his name on the MVP trophy. And I'm, I agree with that. But I also think that there's a case to be made that he should have his name on the manager of the year trophy or whatever trophy is handed out to, uh, you know, the, the best manager every year. And this guy was the first African-American manager. He won manager of the year, I believe, in both leagues. Um, yeah, I think, that, I think that's a really good argument, uh, Matt. I, I, like, I like that really just for the specific of being you know, the first African-American uh, uh, manager. And he also wound up, uh, he had been the assistant GM uh, in the uh, later part of the 90s. So. Uh, with yeah. the Royals, uh, then before uh, getting back into managing, I guess with the Nationals and and the years are kind of uh, I'm kind of forgetting the years there, but as a guy that had uh, decades in the game, uh, and for some reason, I, I've always kind of thought he was a little bit underrated, uh, or at least thought of. So it's kind of cool to see him potentially getting some recognition, uh, further recognition. Uh, I should correct myself. Um, I don't think he won manager of the year in the uh, um, in the National League. He did manage in the National League with the Giants um, and the Expos and Nationals, but he didn't win manager of the year for that. Well, we'll take the correction. Uh, <laughs> all good there. I'd have uh, voted for him for the record. <laughs> we'll vote it up for him, but I still like the suggestion. It still, ma- it still makes sense to me. I think that's... Uh, uh, a good argument there uh, from you, Matt, about uh, potentially being on the Manager of the Year uh, award. So, and to wrap up uh, this week, that was kind of the uh, one of the larger Orioles-related uh, stories. Uh, anything you've seen between between the lines of scrimmage and summer camp starting? Anything of note there uh, you guys want to touch on? Uh, well, the uh, Orioles added Ryan Mountcastle to their player pool, which makes him eligible to play. So uh, that's interesting. They did, uh, and part of that, and they're not reporting who has potentially tested positive for COVID, and they were saying initially nobody, but two of the outfielders, uh, Santander and uh, Dwight Smith Jr., have not been seen, at least as of yesterday. So it kind of makes you wonder if potentially they had they had tested positive. Uh, but, yeah. It's interesting to hear some reports of uh, baseball. And, and Bob, again, as we were talking about off-air, you mentioned the scrimmage they in a squad game they had yesterday where they had, what did they have, Bob? Uh, Ghost outfielders, which is the <laughs> right. coolest thing ever. <laughs> it takes me back to front yard wiffle ball. You have ghost fielders, you have ghost base runners, whatever, you know, you, th- you throw down a, a tape in the street to make a fence, a home run fence, or at least that's what we did. Uh, yeah, back in Spokane, but uh, no, that was that was pretty cool. I mean, I, I I am concerned for for Dwight Smith Jr. and Anthony Santander. I mean, they're not saying it's COVID, but these guys are out for what? They're not saying why. So I mean, that's kind of the assumption, I guess. Maybe maybe we shouldn't assume, but you'd think they would say what it was if it wasn't, I guess. Uh, so they're short on outfielders uh, for an inter squad game, and so that's why they did this and i guess there was some twitter back and forth about people were confused as to actually who was in the outfield and what positions they were playing in the outfield which just to me adds i love it i love the whole sort of chaotic nature of uh this whole thing it's fun right so so yeah, as we start yeah. to think about roster composition i guess the guy that's helped a little bit right now and just for the moment is uh 
DJ Stewart, former first rounder, uh, who uh, there is some power there. He runs a little bit better than you would expect for a bigger guy. He's probably more. He probably should be limited to first or DH, but he could potentially play a little bit of uh, left and be livable. Uh, yeah, so interested to see him. It's just uh, trying to figure out where the bats will come from uh, or, or where he would he would play kind of longer term. But but you know this is something uh, as a season. It's an opportunity for the people that can take the field. So maybe he can make the uh, most of that <laughs> that chance. So we've uh, about 45 minutes tonight. We're trying to keep uh, uh, keep these a little bit shorter. Uh, ran through enough topics. Catch us at the uh, at the board at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. Uh, again, for uh, Bob Harkins and Matt Corey, my thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you again uh, soon. Thank you. Take care, guys.